Time flies when you're having fun, but apparently it also goes fairly quickly when you're gripped in a global pandemic, enduring various tiered lockdowns, and a feeling that you're not so much working from home as you are living at work. And let's not get started on remote learning. It's hard to believe that it's been a whole year since we started this humble podcast. Back then, the world was a different place. Students were studying, to a greater or lesser extent, and parents often struggled to know how best to support them. Well, actually, it's good to know that COVID hasn't altered everything, I guess. Hello, and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, founder of The Study Buddy, and your host. The Study Sessions, or the podcast that was formerly and briefly known as The Revision Report, was born out of my desire to help parents to help their young people. As an organisation, the Study Buddy helps with organisation and time management, specifically in the run-up to GCSE and A-level exams. What I really wanted to do was look at the full spectrum of support that parents might provide, not least of all because my daughter is starting on her GCSE journey this year. We've covered broad themes such as mental health and motivation, and we've also covered subject-specific revision techniques too. It's been a real drive to cover genuine topics of concern and not paint some insta-perfect, out-of-reach aspiration. And that's why the second season's topics were based mainly on the subjects that came out of one-to-one coaching sessions with six students. In my mind, it was sort of a child of our times for studying. This week, in a special Year in Review episode, I'm going to be taking a look back at some of the themes and topics that we've explored over the past 12 months and 44 episodes. Can you even believe that it's been 44 episodes? Each, I should say, expertly produced by the fantastic team at Pineapple Audio Productions, without whom none of this would have been possible. For the second only time in our history, I'm podcasting solo, Although it should feel like we're amongst friends as we remember some of the more than 50 expert guests who featured on the show. So cue the wavy lines while I slip into a Noel Coward-esque jacket, stoke the fire for this study sessions retrospective. I think that without exception, all of the guests that we've had have been top class and we've had quite a range of them. As well as a fair few teachers and educators, we've had professors, doctors, professional coaches, we've had experts that you'll have seen on TV or heard on the radio, and we've even had a couple of MBEs on our roll call. Plus, we've had some parents and students too. Although we're a UK-focused programme, it's not to say that we haven't had an international following, and that's been helped by some guests that we've had in the States or coming from international schools. Looking back, I'm not sure that I could pick out a favourite guest, not just because that would be indiscreet, but it would absolutely be wrong not to mention Dr Dominique Thompson, the former university GP and healthcare professional and author of the fabulous How to Grow a Grown-Up, was not only our first guest, but also appeared in both seasons unusually. What I loved about chatting with Dom were some of those ideas that she talked about, this fear of perfectionism and how we can prepare our child for the road rather than prepare the road for our child. These were central concepts in everything that she talked through. And I think back then, before COVID and the pandemic, it was really interesting to think about the role that we have as parents and maybe an overprotective nature. Of course, when the pandemic came along and the 2020 exam cohort were thrown into this turmoil, Dom's message that life is wiggly was never more relevant. We couldn't have known how apt that would be at that time when we launched. I think also the guest that I was surprised most by was Catherine Burblesing. I chatted to Catherine in season one, episode 15, 
in her episode Hold the Line, where we looked at parental discipline. Now, at the time, Catherine was reportedly Britain's strictest headmistress, and because I'm a bit of a soft-touch liberal at heart, I'll admit I was a little unsure how it would go. But I have to say, while I don't necessarily agree with everything that Catherine said, you absolutely could not doubt her passion and her single-minded drive to see young people do well. And holding the line, which was the mantra that Catherine talked about, really did encapsulate this whole idea that as parents, we tend to give in. I think some of that echoed what we heard from Dom, that we want to do well and maybe we're overcompensating. But actually, what Catherine was talking about was this isn't in our children's best interests. And so she was really a rallying cry for looking differently at how it is we, as parents, discipline or provide structure and routine. One of the central themes that we return to time and time again, which leads on really from what Catherine was talking about, is the role that parents can have as coaches. Now, this was something that struck me when Jake was going through his exams, and I've talked quite a lot about how stressful that period was for us. Being able to step back and try to take the emotion out of the conversations was a recurring piece of advice that has come from our guests. In particular, I remember Jonathan Peach way back in episode five of season one talking about how do you need me to be? And that's a really great way of finding things that work and that don't work when we're hoping to support our children. And what surprised me, and I'm sure will surprise you, is just how receptive our young people can be in being involved like that and being challenged and asked. They really do step up to the mark when you give them the opportunity. But for me, chief among all of the advice, and something that we've heard time and time again, is about leading by example. And I think it was Dr. Andy Cope, the doctor of happiness, who coined the truism for us first, that our children might not do as we say, but they will do as we do. And what a fantastic episode that was. I remember just how infectious Andy's positivity was, almost exhausting. And even now, I can't help but smile every time I think about his anecdotes. And I'm still grateful that there's not a crocodile in my toilet. But going back to setting the example, we have seen this time and time again. And the use of digital was another instance, I think, that really drove this home. And that was the episode with Vicky Shotbolt. And though we have also heard about it more recently with Danny Quinn, that the way that we parents and as people in our own right go about doing things does indicate to our children what's acceptable and what's normal and what's okay. Now, with Danny, we were talking about learning maths in episode 14 of season two. And Danny talked about this idea of family identity. And as Danny was explaining it, it's not unusual to hear parents say, I'm no good at maths, don't worry, it hasn't held me back which sets this limiting factor. And what Danny was suggesting and said that the family identity is really important and perhaps we could be the family that doesn't give up. It can be really hard for us to follow our own advice. And I think that we can feel that and we can see that in what we do. Sometimes we can be quite hard on ourselves if we've determined to, I don't know, start exercising or eat more healthily. And these things will invariably fall by the wayside. How we pick ourselves up and carry on is what's really important. And it's also important that we remember our children are exactly in the same position, that they're going to start something that may not work out as they'd hoped. This idea that our children can create their own barriers or ceilings to their potential was something that we came to quite early on. And I was really genuinely fascinated to talk to Chris Hildrew back in episode six, 
from the episode was The Power of Yet, about how our language can have such a huge impact. And again, growth mindset is something that we've come back to a lot. And for many of us, it probably was the first time that we'd heard this concept. It's something that schools are well aware of and teachers are well aware of. It just hasn't seemed to trickle down to us parents yet. But it is such a simple idea and one that immediately makes sense. And it's something that can still have such a profound impact. And I was looking back and thinking about the way in which I deal with praise with my two children. So Jake being the eldest and now 20, when he was growing up, we would tell him, you're so clever. You're such a natural at this kind of thing. And actually what we were doing accidentally, of course, is creating this impression that he didn't need to try because he was naturally good at something. What that also meant was that his success came from his achievement. And so why would you try to do something that you might fail at if you weren't going to get that kind of successes? With my daughter, actually, for different reasons, we didn't praise the successes in the same way. What we did was we looked at her effort and we talked about you try so hard and so pleased that you don't give up easily and these kinds of things. What it means is that she's much happier to push herself because the praise comes from the effort, from the attempt, not necessarily from the ultimate outcome. Of course, it does work that the more she tries, the more she succeeds, and she likes that kind of success as well. And growth mindset, for me, really did look at the way in which we as parents can accidentally, as I say, sort of shape the way that our children will think about themselves and what it is that they're capable of. This was really the first time that we touched on sort of cognitive science and metacognition, this idea that we're learning about learning. And it's certainly something that we've covered a lot in season two, starting by talking to Dylan William and then in particular to Kate Jones. It's led to those watershed moments, certainly for me, about how we learn. And this was retrieval practice in particular. It's opened up a whole new idea of memory and recall, how low stakes testing is the most effective way of strengthening the memory bonds. And it's something that we can help with so easily as parents, though many of us don't have the time, even through lockdown, to learn alongside our teens. We probably wouldn't really have had the inclination either. But the tips that we heard from Kate in episode nine of season two, and then a little later in separate episodes with Adam Boxer and Patrice Bain, have been fantastically useful. We've covered things like flashcards, blurting and mind maps. And these are really, really effective ways of our young people retrieving, recalling what has been taught to them and what they've learned so that they can use it again in future. And we heard a lot about the three stages of memory through these various guests and how this kind of activity really does help to move things from the long-term memory into the working memory. And so we'll stand them in really good stead when it comes to tests and exams and learning later on in life. Alongside the idea of retrieval practice, we've also heard about spacing and interleaving. This idea that you test yourself on something you've just learned, maybe after a day with spacing, and then maybe come back to it a couple of weeks later. And maybe then after that, maybe another 30 days, 30 days after that. And so little and often really does help to cement what's been taught and what's been learnt. There was this notion that ideally you'd get to the point where remembering is almost difficult. Now, of course, that's a nonsense, really, because 
you can't ever know that you're just about to forget something without trying to remember it in the first place. But this idea seems to be quite central, that you come back to something, you repeat it, and that really does help. Certainly for our children who are coming up to GCSE and A-level exams, that they need to be in this position where they can freely call on what has been taught to them during school. Interleaving was the idea that you mix up subjects or topics so that you don't get into a groove and into a habit of just remembering what the next card is in the flashcard series that they're learning, but that this can help build up scheme and again, just aid recall from what's been learned during the lessons. Sticking with this realm of cognitive science, I really enjoyed the episodes on feedback with Michael Charles, where we looked at the significance of direct and indirect feedback. I've certainly been paying a lot more attention to my automatic eyebrow rising, or at least I'm trying to do that when I'm listening to how much work my university-going son or my daughter are doing. And of course, we touched on generative learning with Joey Enser in episode 20 of this year. And that was a really interesting episode too, because I think what that did is having bought into the idea and the theory behind retrieval practice, what Zoe did really helped us to understand how things get learnt as in they're absorbed in the first place. And we talked there about summarising and note-taking and, and all of these kinds of things that really do go to underpin what happens at school and give us a structure. What I've loved with these and other episodes is that we're picking up new knowledge as parents, that you'll often hear parents say that you don't think that your children are taught how to revise. And hearing from these practitioner experts has, I hope you'll agree, really opened up that side of support. And let's not forget that we've been dispelling myths too. We've obviously worked hard to challenge the notion that revision is a last minute activity, as we heard from Dawn Cox when we were speculating about what the impact of exam cancellations might be. We simply know that cramming is not a credible learning activity, although it's unfortunate that it does seem to provide the short-term results in a limited test. But we did also find out, of course, through Adam Boxer, that the specifications and the curriculum for GCSE and certainly for A-level are so wide that you couldn't possibly hope to cram and absorb all of that ready for an exam the following day or within the next few days. It's just not possible. And so a more robust, more rigorous approach is to space, interleave and really, really work on that retrieval practice. Of course, one of the other myths that we busted was with Professor Phil Newton not very long ago. And we learned that learning styles aren't a thing. And I think that's a really difficult one for most of us to accept because as people, we can immediately relate to the fact that I am a certain type of learner. So I would have sworn blind that I was a visual learner. That's how I think. And it's because it's such a personal and ingrained belief that I think it's been so much harder to shake. But as Phil explained it, shake it we must. Because there's a danger here that if we start to limit the ways in which our children learn or try to actively encourage them to go down one route or another, that actually they're going to fall foul of this technique and they're not going to absorb as much as they could do if they were using a breadth of revision techniques, whether they're visual and audio and kinesthetic insofar as that's possible as well. And that actually what our children really need is this dual coding, is to see and hear in order to really embed that learning in the first place. The other danger, as Phil explained it, was that this can also limit their future aspirations. 
if you think you're not very good at writing stuff, you may not consider a career in journalism, I think we talked about. And actually, that might just not be the case because, of course, the learning style isn't true. But it is something that's held on to by a lot of teachers. I think what was interesting with Phil's perspective was actually there may also not be a point where it's worth trying to dispel the myth amongst teachers, which is an interesting side note. But certainly as parents, it's something that we should be conscious not to try to lead our children down one path or another. And mainly that's because these limiting factors can have a significant impact on our young people's mental health. And while as parents, we all want our children to fulfil their potential, each of us know absolutely that this is not at any cost. As a society, we're considerably more aware now of well-being and mental health than we were, certainly compared to when I was at school, when we were at school and college. So it's absolutely right that a good number of our episodes have been focused on that. Right from episode one, a year ago, we've had some fantastic guests, including mental health campaigner Natasha Devon, MBE. We've had the author of the best-selling kindness method, Shrew Izardi. We've also heard from authors and clinicians, Dr. Jane Gilmore and Bettina Hone. And we also had ITV's parenting expert, Sue Atkins. And we've had so many others, all of them with the same message. And they've emphasised in their own unique perspective the importance of balance, of setting realistic goals and expectations, and really, really, really crucially, of self-love and kindness. We know that there are enormous pressures on young children and our young people. This is coming at them from all angles, and it's just not possible to do these episodes on mental health any kind of justice with a pithy one-line summary, but these are absolutely the ones that are going to have the most positive and lasting impact. It's always an important message, but especially now with the shifting sands, the social isolation and other strangenesses that our young people find themselves surrounded by. So I would absolutely encourage you to go back and, and have a look for those episodes and listen again, or for the first time. Of course, this uncertainty that our teens have been facing has really been exemplified by what's going on with exams. And as of last week's episode with Simon Liebus from Ofqual, we now know what's happening and how grades are being assigned to students. And it's all around teacher judgment. And actually, what I was really struck with in talking to Simon was his absolute advocacy for relying on teachers and teachers being best placed to do it. And that's raised some really interesting questions in itself. If teacher judgment is so vital, why don't we have a role for it in normal years? To an extent, we've ignored these kinds of issues on this podcast. We prefer to focus on the kinds of topics that will genuinely help you support your teens. But this idea of fairness of exams is something that we've talked about previously, especially when we were asking the question about what the future will hold before we knew what was happening with the 2021 exams. And these might not have been immediately useful, but conversations like those with Ian Kilpatrick and Barnaby Lennon and certainly Dylan William were certainly really interesting food for thought. On the more pragmatic, but no less interesting, have been the various perspectives we've had around what influences our teens' performance and drive. Right back in episode three, we heard from a sports nutritionist, Andy Petz. Now, everything that Andy talked about with regards to diet and exercise made absolute and immediate sense. Our teens' bodies need the right kind of fuel to perform at its best. It's one of those things that just is a structure as a no-brainer. But certainly in our house, it's not something that we often see through. 
bad habits are bad to break. That can also apply to our sleep patterns. So again, we recently touched on this issue when we looked at light with Dr. Shelley James. But of course, the first time we covered sleep was with Professor Faith Orchard way back in episode seven of season one. Both talked about the importance of a good routine and Faith talked specifically about the problems of devices and mental stimulation before bedtime. Now, this is a very hot topic and something that a lot of parents of teens struggle with. How can I stop them from being on their phone right up until the moment their lights go out? Or how can I stop them being on their phone even after the lights have gone out? Many teens see their devices as a lifeline, if not an actual extension to their arms. And this is one of those things that I think parents are going to struggle with unless you can, as Catherine would have had us from outset, hold the line and actually put the rules in place to start with. Going back on what our teens are now into by way of habit on their phones is so much more difficult than adopting the right kinds of habits and behaviours in the first place. One of the most impactful episodes, I think, came in the form of looking at motivation. And it was an episode that involved head teacher Sam Strickland and authors Steve Oakes and Martin Griffin. And we touched on the subject before, and we definitely have since, but this episode really focused on the crucial role of motivation in our teens. One of the things that I really loved about that was the distinction between an activating and a sustaining motivation. And when it comes to revising and studying for exams, many parents, myself absolutely included, will go through sort of the usual gambit of encouraging the teen to do more. And it can be bribery, it can be blackmail, and it can be anything in between. But actually, this isn't something that can be sustained. And we really do ideally want our children to find for themselves this goal and this motivation so that they can carry on and it can sustain itself. That isn't always easy. Some children do have that. They'll have in mind a career or they'll have in mind a university that they want to go to. But for the vast majority, actually, the lure of the Xbox or of another TikTok video is just going to be too great. What I loved, I think, particularly from that episode were the deeply practical tips that Steve and Martin were able to give. And the one that I've definitely taken away and used really successfully with Emily is this idea of just give it five minutes, see how you get on. So if she's got homework to do, she's got some studying that needs to take place and she really doesn't feel like it, just give it five minutes, see how you get on. That doesn't seem unreasonable. And so normally the teen will have a go. By the time they're four minutes in, five minutes in, actually they might as well carry on now that they're here. And so it'll just push them over the edge to do it. And I think it's a really interesting one that in the absence of motivation, actually routine and discipline and structure can really, really see that through. But that's something that I've loved about every single episode, actually, is that each of them has had a takeaway tip or advice that parents can really use. And that was never more so than in the episodes that we had that looked at specific subject tips and tricks. And they were, of course, looking at revising English with Jenny Webb. We covered maths with Danny Quinn and more recently, modern languages with Rebecca Nobes. It's been really interesting to hear from parents and students alike, actually, how useful these have been to them. And I think that really does come back to that question of are our children taught how to revise at school? Certainly looking forward to covering many more subject-specific episodes in the future. And maybe we'll even include a specific video channel as well. Although I think we'll wait until the hairdressers have opened up again before subjecting you to that. 
So over the last year, I think we can agree that we've learned a lot and that we've had some of our ideas reinforced, perhaps. And I think that beyond the challenge to come up every week with a clever wordplay in the title, which keeps me out of trouble for an hour or so, what I've personally enjoyed most is hearing from parents, carers and teachers who listen. And the episodes that have generated the most spontaneous and positive messages were when we looked at autism and special educational needs in episode five of season two, and then also the chat with parents in episode eight of season one, and of course not forgetting the introduction to our six intrepid students, which was the very last episode in season one. What we collectively get most from is knowing that we're not alone. Whether that's in wondering whether we're doing the right thing or whether we're just simply questioning a particular approach, we're all going through studying and supporting our teens at different speeds and perhaps with different aspects of the same kinds of issues. But underneath it all, we all want the same thing for our young people. We want them to fulfil their potential and we want them to be happy. And so it's genuinely fantastic to know that in some small way, this podcast is helping you to have a positive impact. Thank you for listening and for indulging my nostalgic reflections on a year of this podcast. I hope that for regular listeners, it's reminded you of some of the useful episodes that we've had. And for our newer subscribers and followers, perhaps it'll prompt you to take a look through our back catalogue for an episode that tackles an issue or a question that you've been grappling with. If you have enjoyed this and previous episodes, would you take a moment to leave a five-star rating and perhaps a review too? It really does help us to reach other parents and spread the word on how they can support their own young people. Of course, sharing the link to this and other episodes with friends on social media is always very much appreciated. Next week, normal service will be resumed and there'll be another episode. So please don't forget to subscribe to the Study Sessions podcast.